Michel, uh, first things first, uh, how how are you doing? I'm great. I'm excited. Uh, the new album, Margaret Tells, is coming out tomorrow. So, yeah, it's always a lot of work. And uh, I received the copies and looks great. <laughs> is, it, is there still a, some nervousness and anxiety or is it, can you let it go now? Oh, I, I'm I'm pretty nervous because uh, most people will get their copies tomorrow, and um, I can't wait to see what people think about it. Really. Well, yeah, uh, we can only wait and find out. Let's before we uh, delve really into the new album. Uh, I'd like to jump back to the beginning a little bit because uh, the band is celebrating its 40th uh, anniversary, I believe. Now, yeah. when you started 40 years ago, what was the mindset within the band? What was the dream, so to say? Well, the dream was to uh, really um, become an international band, even though we were French-Canadian from Northern Quebec. Um, it seemed like an impossible dream, really, uh, to me anyway, uh, until uh, Warren Payne came out in 84. That's where I decided to quit university to try to make it um, as a musician, you know, and uh, because the album Warren Payne had a pretty good impact on what was going to become trash metal. Yeah. Very quickly at that time, were you studying graphical design at that point? Uh, no, I was studying science. Uh, okay. But uh, I did go back to school uh, in the 90s and the years uh, 2000 uh, to uh, in the graphic design, digital graphic design. I went back to school three times, actually. Okay, no, because, because that's what I find interesting, kind of the, the balance between those creative expressions. You have music on the one end and then you have the more visual uh, side on the other. How do you, do they go together for in, in your mind or are they separate worlds? They always, to me, um, they they were always uh, related. Uh, like uh, when I was a teenager, I did a lot of drawings, listening to progressive rock albums, uh, watching the front cover and from the bands like Yes or Emerson Lake and Palmer, like Tarkus, you know. And um, mm -hmm. so um, it was always connected. But um, I was lucky because, I mean, I created the... Um, the Voivod concept when I discovered the magazine uh, Heavy Metal uh, Comics, okay. you know, and I wanted to be an artist for Heavy Metal Magazine. So I created the Voivod world for my art uh, in the 70s and early 80s. But when, uh, you know, Snake joined the band in January uh, 83, we started looking for a name. I mentioned Voivod and the guys were intrigued. <laughs> and then I... Um, they first asked me, how do you spell it? <laughs> and then uh, uh, they asked me what it was all about. When I explained the concept, we all got excited uh, and uh, developed it uh, visually, musically, lyrically, all through the 80s, um, over five albums. So it was a great adventure. So uh, all, the, um, all through that, I was doing the art for uh, the band to uh, um, express uh, visually what was happening in the music and lyrics and so it, it was always intertwined and these days I draw a lot while recording and mixing and okay. I use the drawings in the booklets and yeah it's a it's a great adventure for me for sure 
No, and that's excellent to to well, like you say, you've did did all the artwork over the years, and it's really cool to see the development of that that initial Voivod kind of idea over the years. It's expanded and gone in different directions, so it's really cool yeah. to see. Yeah, it's also a great opportunity for me on tour. Uh, after every show, I draw something and post it online. It's like a journal of my uh, my day in that specific city and uh, the architecture, what happened. And so uh, this is also um, a great experience for me to express my travels like that, you know, mm-hmm. um, um i i eventually will release uh, these road uh, art uh, drawings okay. um uh, uh in book formats okay i'm well, looking forward to that then mm-hmm. um one last question about kind of this this art uh, subject but obviously artificial intelligence has become one of the things that people talk about and i had a discussion with a musician the other day about Nobody expected AI to come for creative uh, industries first. It's like, okay, we we thought it was going to help with, with physical tasks and that kind of stuff. But now it seems to kind of venture into the creative world. So what are your yeah. thoughts on that? Well, it's definitely an amazing tool in the sense that, like, let's say for uh, our video, Quest for Nothing, it would have taken me 3,000 years to do <laughs> sure. that frame by frame. And um, so... I'm uh, I'm okay with it as long as uh, in our uh, on our end uh, as long as we train the AI with my art and not somebody else's art, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, so uh, uh, for, uh, for a, um, a video uh, material, it's just amazing. Also, to um, um, to have a bank of ideas for um, front covers or stuff like that you know right. it's, it's very useful and uh, but again as long as uh, it's uh, my art being used uh, i can use it for voivod you know as a band has the philosophy and you are the only constant member from the beginning so has the philosophy of the band always been to be open for for new for changes not only in music but in in society and kind of figuring out how to incorporate that into what you do uh oh yeah i mean from the start i mean i must say for the first couple of albums we were pretty much playing punk metal trash metal you know but um i would say the big uh change was when we uh moved to montreal and stayed together in the same apartment in 85 and started to go through everybody's vinyl collection and then that's where we really started to add um modern composer um, uh, bits you know uh, like from Shostakovich Bartok and you know and uh, also we listen to a lot of soundtracks uh The Shining or Mad Max or and um, we uh we the music started to be more cinema oriented and also um got more into post-punk Bauhaus, Skinning Joke and um, and we were, uh, or industrial music and we were never afraid to uh, try to add new ingredients to the mix and um, when we started recording in Berlin with Harris Jones, uh, he was um, w- very well equipped with um, new technology and uh, and so uh, we explored that a lot, and especially on Dimension Hatras, when we uh, showed up in Berlin uh, and uh, in the new Music Lab studio, uh, he had um, 
uh, a sampler, Akai sampler, and also um, uh, Octapad uh, from Roland mm-hmm. and uh, electronic pads. And so um, I started on my end to explore a lot more. And so we, we tried to use uh, the te- technology as much as we can. And back then it was scary because if we had to do special effects, backward music or the engineer had to cut the tape (laughs) always a very stressful uh, nerve-wracking moment you know and but these days it's just insane what you can do uh and uh so we try to use it and um as much as we can but also the fun part is uh like uh, chewy um not only is he a great composer but he's also uh, a music teacher at at college and so he can write Mm -hmm and compose charts for um, a string uh, quartet like on the, the wake or uh, a brass uh, quintet like on the end of dormancy EP and and people embrace it. Um, uh, not only that, um, we are winning Junos for very intricate, uh, intricate albums these days. So we're going to explore uh, that open-minded side even more, you know, it gives us confidence. That, that's an interesting point because I, I don't know how bands see this themselves, but did, did you, whenever you're writing, do you, do you realize how technical certain things are? Or is that, are you aware of that in, in a sense when you're just writing songs and trying to make an album? Well, um, I must say that, um, it has become more surgical during the pandemic mm, when we wrote okay. Sync Anarchy. And we had to do it while socially distancing. And I started to program drums on my computer uh, for the demos. And uh, it we, uh, we we it was a move forward in terms of uh, syncing on Logic Pro and um, mm-hmm. learning how to build an album without being in a rehearsal space because we didn't have access to a studio during lockdown. So. Uh, and now everything is more, um, uh, we're moving ahead uh, very fast because of that, because uh, we can write on the road, uh, which is great. And um, on the, the tour we just did with Testament in Europe, we started writing uh, new material. And so uh, 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 during the uh, uh, um, open tour last November and December in Europe, mm-hmm. we started building the Morgoth Tales project. And uh, so um uh yes i think that uh um uh, now we have found a way to uh, move forward um uh, and, and it's very technical <laughs> but i suppose because uh, as i mentioned earlier this band has existed for 40 years so so do you need that change and that development to to keep it interesting as well to to because well we we need that uh way of working uh, to push things forward, uh, but I must say it's really when when we get into the studio at Radicart where we record uh, these days, um, it's really when we get together in a studio mm-hmm. that it becomes Voivodian. You know, everything morphs into what will become a new album because um, uh, it's it's really uh, where we figure things out, where it's working or not, and uh, in terms of speed or structure. And uh, 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 but I must say that um, uh, what I missed a bit um, 
when we we did demos for Synchro Anarchy was to improvise music and mm-hmm. record the improvisations. We quite often find new material uh, from these improv uh, sessions that, and we record everything and then we listen to it. And it's something that you can't really uh, um, create if you sit down and want to write music, you know? So, right. um, so it's good to have a good balance between um, these uh, digital demos and the uh, basic recording with an iPhone at the jam space, you know, it's, uh, it's good to mix both really. Right. And with with that in mind, then, because Tales of Morgoth is a selection of songs that you've previously uh, released, but, but you re-recorded them. So when re- revisiting these songs, then, has your mind already uh, surpassed what was on the original recording and you're trying to do little new things and nuances that, that weren't on the original? Well, I had to listen to the original uh, material a lot. Uh, okay. And then... Uh, Then I was nervous when we, uh, I was on a bus to Radical Studio outside of Montreal and uh, I was nervous because it, it, re- it represented a big challenge. And um, some of the songs like Nuage Fractal, I don't think we had ever played live. And okay. we decided to go for a more obscure side of our catalog so it's uh, these were songs that were not in our dna so to speak uh, <laughs> uh like tribal uh, i mean you know we wanted to avoid tribal convictions or astronomy domine or the unknown knows because it was featured on all the live releases we uh we did lately and so uh yeah a big challenge but what struck me the most was how the band progressed hmm within a few years, mainly in the 80s, when we were rehearsing every night, touring, um, a world tour every year and an album every year and so on. And uh, I, I got to realize that uh, while uh, re-recording the songs. And um, uh, again, we built that project um, um, in November and December of last year while touring with um Uh, open and so uh, mm. that's we got the idea of covering all the lineups and uh, so we got I reached out to um, <clears throat> Eric and uh, Eric Forrest and Jason Newsted they got excited and um, they appeared on the album which was uh, really really cool and um, mm. uh, and and it also it was a good occasion for them to jump on stage uh, Jason came uh, on stage with us in uh, Florida in May and uh, Eric came on stage at the Hellfest in June and so yeah it's uh, it's great great uh, and exciting uh, projects uh, project altogether and uh, but the main thrill was to re-record these songs and not to try to capture the youthful energy and all that just um, to uh, our representation of these songs uh, with the lineup that's happening right now the chemistry that we have you know it was so exciting actually that we even thought about doing a Morgoth Tales too but we have to release a new album of new <laughs> material first <laughs> no but you mentioned something interesting and one of one of the questions I, I thought of asking you was kind of what what is one turning point for the band or what was one one specific important period but you mentioned the 80s and that there was a window of about four years where the band really progressed and really why do you why was that why do you think that period particularly was so fruitful I think it's because we moved to Montreal together, lived together, built the concept together, the music, the visuals, everything. 
Um, and like I said, uh, doing um, one album and uh, one world tour every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we rehearsed every night from 83 to 89. So it's actually, it's when I got the, the, a copy of the... Uh, the compilation uh, by uh, Noise, uh, the Noise Years, 86-88. 86-88, from the first song of Roar to the last song of Dimension Hatras, it's almost not the same band, you know? It really made me realize uh, how um, full throttle we were going, you know, and uh, very dedicated and uh, disciplined, and uh, we had uh, we had goals, and uh, so... Um, we achieved these goals, uh, ended up uh, being on a major label and all that. But I think that the band, ex- uh, the band probably imploded in the early 90s uh, during the making of uh, Enter Rat because we had been so uh, mm. dedicated together all the time and all that. So um, it kind of burned out. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, we, we lost a bit of a focus, but... Um, in retrospect, we were still able, uh, with all the obstacles and all that in the early 90s, uh, and we were still able to release uh, albums that are really um, uh, appreciated now, like Angel Rat and The Outer Limits. Even though they went under the radar because of the grunge movement and all that, um, now people really love these albums. Whenever there is a vinyl uh, re-release, it's it sells out in minutes, so yeah, and I wanted to ask about that because I, lately I've been speaking to a couple of bands who come from the Washington area in the U.S. Uh, during that early or late uh, '80s period, when when then in the '90s grunge came in and everything got railroaded in a way. How did you experience? And you, you've been in this for four decades, but how have you experienced those shifts in music where certain things are popular and then they aren't, and then they? Hmm. Well. We were lucky it didn't kill us uh, mm. because we did have an alternative side, you know, and people still showed up um, uh, at, sh- uh, at venues. And um, I mean, you know, we still uh, we had a bit of a lower profile maybe uh, in USA for a while. Um, um, but what saved us was the festivals in Europe and uh, it really never died there. The, the metal scene, you know, and uh, yeah. the still huge festivals for uh, heavy metal bands and all that so um but uh i would say that um it by um the mid 90s was a bit tough um we did a lot of touring um and uh but you know uh, by it seems like a short period of time because all of a sudden there was this movement uh, with Meshuga, Fear Factory, Machine Head, and you know, right. and what we were doing around 96, 97, um, 95, kind of fit with that movement. So, um, man, we've been surviving for 40 years uh, as an underground band. And to, to me, it's been a big uh, roller coaster ride. But, um, the uh, the end result of uh, this all this work and perseverance is that um, now we are more popular than ever. So it's quite a relief, <laughs> <laughs> especially in the difficult moments. What keeps you going? What what keeps you on the right track? 
Is real music dying? What even is real music and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird and the deep questions. And we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in and go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, um, it's the travels. As soon as we have uh, a hiatus for some reason, I really miss going around the world playing Voivod music, mm. uh, meeting my old friends and new friends. And so I, um, uh, it, um, I always went back to music because of that, you know. And um, I, I'm in a good situation where I can, uh, when um, I'm at home, uh, not touring or recording, I can do art. Uh, for other bands mm -hmm. so I do that a lot and um, uh, but you know I um, I get antsy and miss the road um, every time we have to stop for a while I must say okay <laughs> okay so, so so you're very happy that all the lockdowns are over I can imagine <laughs> oh man when we uh, we first started uh, doing shows um, in uh, 2020 uh, <laughs> with uh, um, a lot of restrictions Everybody had a mask on and they were, uh, but it was only in the province of Quebec. We couldn't get out. We couldn't even go to Ontario, you know? Oh, and wow. uh, uh, so everybody, everybody had to be two meters apart. And with, uh, um, we first did online shows uh, where we revisited classic albums because we wanted to get together. Um, and, but it, even then it was very strict restrictions. Um, and, um, Uh, but it is. It was in 2021 that uh, uh, we uh, actually. Sorry, it was in 2022 that mm. we were able to start touring internationally, uh, and um, um, it, it's really. It was uh, at first uh, we thought nobody would show up, but everybody showed up. <laughs> everybody was hungry for it. They've missed oh, it. Oh yeah! And this year we have a super busy schedule for the 40th anniversary. So we're playing a lot of clubs and big festivals and uh, it's uh, it's super exciting, you know. Um, um, so yeah, uh, we we still have a lot of on our, on our plate uh, with um, uh, in August uh, shows in uh, the Walk-In and the Helsinki right. Fest, shows in clubs in Scandinavia and uh, in September a festival in uh, Brazil, a lot of shows in the province of Quebec. Uh, um, and, and in December, we're playing with Meshuga in Montreal. But I think that um, in the fall and the, in the winter, we'll have time to write a new album. Hmm. So yeah, it's going to be interesting what you come up with then. Um, and that, that's maybe another question that's, that's good to ask you, because thematically or in terms of the concept, do, do you guys kind of sit together in a room, talk about stuff and then kind of work out a theme or is it just that you, you come up with with kind of this 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 concept and then you just try to make something out of it? Well, it, it depends. Uh, uh, not long ago, we we're trying to predict what would happen in the next 30 years or so. <laughs> uh, 
Now it's almost, it's almost impossible to do so. <laughs> it's, it's so we confusing have, at yeah. the moment. Right now we have just have to dig um, through what's popping uh, online. And um, of course, there is a lot of disinfo, but um, uh, it's just that sci-fi has caught up with us. And um, in, in that aspect, um, I mean, um, uh, Synchro Hierarchy, is uh, anchored in what's going on right now because it's super sci-fi. Uh, so uh, we were less inclined to, uh, or Snake is probably less inclined to try to uh, figure out what was go- uh, what's going to happen in the future. Um, and um, there, there's a lot of material available <laughs> uh, in the present. Well, the, 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 what I find so interesting then, if you, if you listen to a song like uh, Kling Technology, which was probably written in 86 or something, then it, it's still very relevant in, in, in parts of its themes with today. So did, how do you make sense of that kind of uh, pre, pre, pre-cognition, cognition, uh, however you want to call it? It's funny because when we did the, the Morgoth Tales recordings in January, um, what uh, really jumped to uh, my my face was uh, how how much of a recurring nightmare it is where we were talking about uh, Chernobyl um, in 86, 87, and then sure. uh, we we talked about Fukushima later, and, uh, and now it's Zaporizhia, you know, and uh, or um, ozone layer, acid rain, and then global warming. And and so on and so on. So now, I mean, I mean, we've talked about AI taking control of high tech weaponry and all that. So we're not so far, of course. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's um, we will always talk about the uh, possibility of this the of the destruction of this planet. For a while in the 90s, I was doing interviews and people were telling me uh, that I was retro talking about nuclear weapons, but it's back to the front line, you know? Yeah, and, yeah it, it's uh, scary times, but um, uh, um, I'm, I'm really a happy fellow and I enjoy life, you know? Um, uh, I, I try not to... Uh, um, be too stressed out and depressed about uh, the nature of things, but um, um, uh, I must say that um, art and uh, drumming really, really helps me to. Um, mm. It's like a presto. Yeah, especially I can imagine that I have a piano here and a guitar, so I'm not a musician by any means, but I play and it clears my head a little bit. And then, especially drumming, how physical it is. I can. It's very cathartic. I imagine. Oh yeah, yeah. It's always been uh, some sort of uh, le- um, levitation or trance for me when I'm playing drums, where I evacuate a lot of uh, anxiety, and uh, it's really physical. It's an exercise and keeps me young. And uh, yeah, man, I am. Um, I decided to uh, take good care of myself when I saw Tommy Aldridge in '98. Uh, he was playing with, uh, with White Snake, and uh, was I thought if I want to be that guy in 25 years, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I better take care of myself. And so um, I'm, I'm, I can still tour. We just did like 40 shows in 49 days or something like that, and we can still do it, man. Oh, that's great. Uh, as as a drummer, then do you still 
because you've been playing so long, do you still challenge yourself in terms of new techniques and everything? Is is that a continual process? Oh yeah, I try to um, I try not to repeat the same patterns and same beats, yeah. and it has become increasingly uh, difficult for sure because for of sure. the cat. <laughs> we have a pretty good catalog. Um, I, I try to. Um, I tr yeah, I try to play differently sometimes on different parts, and uh, it's great because we have jumped back into this fusion metal thing where it's progressive rock again. It's I feel at home because I I really learned to play with hard rock and punk and metal, but uh, also uh, prog rock, you know. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, Robert Wyatt from Soft Machine, Terry Bozio from Zappa, um, uh, Christian Vanda from Magma. Uh, so um, I learned a lot from these drummers. So uh, it's it's a great challenge, and I, but I feel at home really. That's a great here. I have one last uh, question. The Morgoth tales. I, I'm not a big. I, I've never read uh, Lord of the Rings, but I know Morgoth is 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 a word that that's in Lord of the Rings. Yes. Um, was that the inspiration, or or was, was yes. there something else? Okay. Yes, uh, it's uh, when I was creating my concept for my comic books uh, in the seventies, and I saw the name Voivod in a Bram Stoker uh, Dracula mm. book. I thought it was a great name uh, for a, a fantasy character, and um, uh, Morgoth I saw in the Tolkien uh, book, and. Um, uh, uh, so I created this world where the Voivod was this warrior uh, guarding the Morgoth planet and making sure that uh, high-tech weaponry is not getting out of control and really an oppressor. He was not a hero. And uh, and um, so, um, yes, it, it, it's a mixture, mixture of uh, a lot of the rings and Dracula, but... Um, with the end of the 70s, the Cold War, the early 80s, uh, uh, movies like Tread and uh, The Day After in the early 80s. Uh, and there was a, document, a documentary uh, called um, If You Love This Planet or something like that mm -hmm. from the National Film Board about uh, nuclear stockpiles around the world and, okay. and so uh slowly but surely my concept turned into more of a post-apocalyptic uh, mm -hmm. uh scenario and uh so it was uh, a good match with uh, voivod and when we formed in 83 you know yeah that, I, th I think i love that um yeah, as I mentioned in the beginning of this interview, that other side, where, where it's not just music, there's there's this whole conceptual side to it as well. Um, yeah, how, I don't know how, how I should put this, but what do you hope people hear when they put on Mar Margoth Tales? Oh, it's um, it's like a journey, really. And uh, uh, I mean, you can, you know, you can feel that from the early heavy metal of Condemned to the Gallows uh, to the brand new song, Morgoth Tales, um, that we wrote specifically for this album. Mm. Uh, it, it's quite a, how can I say, it's quite a journey, you know, and, um, um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, like a voyage uh, through different styles and uh, experimentations and um 
yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's I think that the people will feel the progression of the band and um, and also uh, it, it's really great uh, that uh, we decided to cover the Eric Forrest and Jason Newsted years because um, we um, it's it was a great opportunity opportunity to refresh the set list. So this year's touring. Mm. Uh, People enjoy a lot because these are songs we never really play live at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's very good news for the fans. So, um, yeah, good luck with playing live in the coming months. And then hopefully, as you mentioned, in winter or fall, you get some time to to uh, work on some new creative ideas. Michel, may I thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me and see you on the road somewhere. <laughs>